0: Father in heaven, we're thankful today that we can study again. And we ask that you would be with us today and that you would uh, speak to us and through us in spite of us, but because of us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Be there transformed. We've taken a journey together. Uh, the sanctuary, is it important for this generation? We looked at how the prophets, there's 40 chapters, and the first five books of the Bible, there's 40 chapters. The Psalms is 100 uh, songs that are about the sanctuary. The New Testament is re- all kinds of things about the sanctuary, all through the epistles and the gospels, especially then culminating in the book of Revelation that has thematically uh, goes through almost all of the aspects of the sanctuary. Do you want to hear that lecture? Then uh, it'll be uploaded to my website along with my notes afco.org you can download the notes and you can download the audio files later today come get them from Curtis and put them up number two we looked at what's important about the sanctuary in the first generation we saw the first generation was a very big flop Adam and Eve both sinned their children 50% of them were murderers Uh, the good old days they were very bad very very bad you say well if it could only be like back then well 50% of them were homicidal and uh, Cain killed Abel. So we looked at what went wrong, even though they had everything right, and uh, they how they had the gift of enmity, and we saw the sanctuary, we saw it all right there in Genesis chapter 1. That's a fascinating study. If you've never seen the sanctuary in Genesis, listen to that lecture, get it off the, uh, download it, look at the notes. Then we looked at the Exodus generation. We looked at how the Exodus uh, sanctuary was really just a replica of what was seen on Sinai, and we saw how... Uh, God wanted people to remember the Sinai experience. And uh, we looked very closely at that. Then we looked at the ins and outs of the atonement, the truths for every generation. We saw that in, in the Old Testament type, there was an atonement that happened every day. And then there was a final atonement that happened at the end of every year. And as in type like in antitype, at the end of time, there will be a final atonement as well. And that, that was a very important study. That is a defining argumentative point that people have with Adventists, and I gave that study in the way that I did so that you can give it to others and have confidence yourself. So if you haven't heard it, listen to it, and download it off the website, afco.com. Then, um, today, the Sanctuary and the New Covenant Generation. Uh, That's what we're going to talk about today. And then, the Sanctuary and Earth's Last Generation we'll talk about next. So I have the wrong one up here on the screen. So we'll go to the right one. Um, All right. Now I might say something here that uh, when we talk about the sanctuary and the historical New Covenant, why do I call it the historical New Covenant? Why don't I call it the hysterical New Covenant? Why am I saying anything about historic or prehistoric or anything like that? Because... There's a historic New Covenant experience, or a historic New Covenant and an experiential New Covenant. You could always experience the, the New Covenant all the way back from Adam's time. There's the experience of the Covenant, New Covenant, all the way back. Remember at Cain and Abel? <coughs> In First John chapter, what is it, 3, he says, Look, don't forget Cain and Abel. And a new commandment I give unto you. And then he talks about Cain and Abel. What do you mean a new commandment, Cain and Abel? I mean, that's like the oldest story in the Bible. What's wrong with you, John? Well, he understands that, that Abel had a new covenant experience, even though he was in the Old Testament. Okay, how many hear what I just said. But there's a historical new, old and new covenant, and that's what I mean when I talk about new covenant. Because when you get down to the time of Christ, you move from the old covenant in terms of historic... To the New Covenant experience. How many of you just follow what I said? So, you can always have the experience. But when I say the sanctuary and the historical New Covenant, (coughs) I mean the location. So far in our studies, we consider the sanctuary in Eden, the mountain sanctuary, the wilderness sanctuary. And uh, we've seen something of the terrible nature of sin. And also how God was going to go about in delivering people from sin. However... Um, even though the earthly sanctuaries and feasts taught about God's plan, there was a problem. They didn't really take care of sin. (laughs) Uh, They showed you how sin was going to be taken care of, but they really didn't take care of it. Why didn't they take care of it? Reason number one, Hebrews chapter eight, verse two and five. You can read it with me on the screen. Uh, Minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man who serve The copy and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle, he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern on the mountain. So reason number one, the reason it didn't really work, is because the sanctuary on earth was not the real one, it was just a copy. We want the real one, the right one, baby, uh uh-huh, right? Yeah, you know, if you had a doll that looked exactly like your wife and your wife, which one should you be most interested in? Pop that doll and, you know, if if I came home and I was sitting there next to a doll that looked like my wife and I was talking to her, my wife would say, what's wrong with you? That's called idolatry. (laughs) (laughs) Idolatry, you got it, right? Okay, good. So, the earthly sanctuary was not the real, it was just a copy. Number two, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. It was symbolic, Hebrews 9, 9 says, for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifice are offered, which cannot make him who performeth the service perfect in regard to the conscience. So in other words, it's imperfect. It was a figure. The literal word is like a parable. And it couldn't make the priest perfect. So the earthly sanctuary systems, all that we studied, they were imperfect. That's the second reason Reason number three, Hebrews seven twenty-three. Also, there are many priests because they are prevented by death from continuing. Death is a problem. The priest in the earthly situation died. Right? Look, uh, that's something that maybe we often don't talk about too much. If we talked more about death, we'd probably know how to live a little bit better. It's usually when people know that they're going to die that they start living correctly. And uh, the priests were prevented by death from continuing. So earthly trees could not continue, but they died. And by the way, if they attend our health programs, they die too. Maybe a little bit later. But our health programs are not the best thing. I mean, they're good, but they're not the best. And uh, what we need is eternal life. Not just avoiding death, but the second death. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 10, 4. The fourth reason that the earthly uh, sanctuary was not uh, the real meal deal, although pointed to the real meal deal, it's not possible that the blood of bulls or goats could take away sins. Oh, this is a problem because all they had there was a bunch of goats and bulls and turtle doves and pigeons and everything else they sacrificed. But it's just like say it, it couldn't take away sins. You know, we talk about power in the blood. No power in the blood, this text says. No power in the blood of the bulls and goats. Would you be free from your burden of sin? There's not power in the blood of the bulls and goats. We could sing a new verse. Might confuse people. But there's power in the blood of the lamb, right? Not the lambs back then, but the real lamb. So the sacrifices back then, they didn't take away sin. Number five, Hebrews ten eleven. And every priest stands ministering daily, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. (laughs) So the sacrifices didn't take away sins. That's a problem too. So though offered again and again and again, the earthly sacrifice did not take away sin. Reason number six. These are all the reasons why we have to have the sanctuary of the new covenant. Right? Historical New Covenant. Not experiential. Historical. The Holy Spirit indicated this, that the way into the holiest of all had not yet been made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. So while the first tabernacle was still standing, the way into the holiest of all, that is the heavenly sanctuary, was not made manifest. Uh, Hagia. It's a plural there. The holies literally is what it means. The holy place and the most holy place. It was not made manifest yet. And it, while the first tabernacle was still standing, it couldn't be. So how many of you can see that we need the sanctuary of the new covenant? The way of the holiness had not been manifest. This could not happen t- while the earthly tabernacle was still standing. So, the issue here is that sin was a much bigger problem than many think. Getting rid of it was no small task. Why was it such a huge problem? Well, the real issue is not even the problems with the earthly temple. It's really the problem with the heavenly sanctuary. You see, the heavenly sanctuary is even messed up. Have you ever heard people criticize the church? Some people make their money doing that. Some people just love that, you know. But uh, they say all the people are corrupt. I I like to ask people like that. What's Jesus doing right now? Oh, he's cleansing the heavenly sanctuary. Oh! So the heavenly sanctuary is corrupt too. Are you going to get rid of heaven? You get the point? This is a huge problem. This goes all the way back to the heavens. The heavenly sanctuary. With whom did sin originate and where? John 8, Isaiah 14, 12. If you are the father... You have your father, the devil. Jesus was talking some plain talk on the, the campaign trail there. <laughs> you have your father, the devil. The desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. He's the father of lies. And when did he first start lying? In heaven. Isaiah 14, 12, how are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? So he started lying there. He was the father of sin at the very beginning. Sin originated then in heaven. Sin started in heaven. We don't always preach about this, but it's true. Heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. I want to see my father's face. You ever hear that little song? Well, actually, heaven's not that great yet. It has sin, and it's still not cleansed. So, this is a significant problem, right? What was Satan's position in heaven, by the way? Ezekiel 28, verse 14, she's right here. You were the anointed cherub, not just a cherub, but anointed. That's over the Spirit over them, who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. What's the holy mountain of God? You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. Satan was the anointed cherub. That's the cherub that was right. Where are the cherubs? He served in the holy mountain of God. What's the holy mountain of God we've learned all this week? That's another name for what? The sanctuary. the sanctuary. So here he is serving in the sanctuary of God, and he's an angel, a covering cherub. Where do covering cherubs work? How do you know Because God's sitting on it like Mm-hmm. Right. Where do covering cherubs work? Exodus 25, verse 22. Let's look at what the Bible says. I there will meet you. I will commune with you from the mercy seat from between the two cherubim, which are on the ark of the testimony of all things, while I give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. So in other words, God always communicates from the sanctuary, in the sanctuary from the ark. And the ark has those two cherubs. And the devil was one of those. As a matter of fact... <laughs> Those cherubims, they spread forth their two wings over the place of the ark. The cherubims covered the ark and the staves there. So, the, so the devil was like hovering over the ark. Well, where is heaven's ark now? According to the New Testament. Revelation chapter 11 verse 19. And the temple of God was opened in heaven and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament. So in the heavenly sanctuary, he still is over the ark. So, the problem with those earthly sanctuaries was that they were not taking care of this terrible problem, which was the the, the defilement of the heavenly sanctuary. This is why we need the sanctuary of the New Covenant. Historical New Covenant. So, Satan served on the holy mountain of God, the sanctuary. He specifically worked in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary as a covering angel of the ark of God, and the ark contained God's law. He was in charge of the law. What was his original standing? Ezekiel 28 verse 14. You were the anointed cherub. You walked back and forth in the midst of the, what does it say? Firy. Fiery stones. Now, how many of you would like to walk back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones? Isaiah chapter 33 says, the hypocrites in Zion are afraid. They, they don't want to walk through the fiery stones. You see what I mean? But look, All of you should have raised your hand. You said, I want to walk in the midst of the fiery stones. Yes or no, Louis Torres would say. (laughs) Yes. I want to walk there. I want to be a fire walker in the midst of the fiery stones. And ultimately, we will be. Because that's being right. Where is the fiery stone? The law was a, he gave them his law, uh, Deuteronomy 33, 1 and 2. He wrote it with his right hand. A fiery law, it says. So, literally, when you walk amongst the fiery stones, you're walking in the presence of God next to the Ten Commandments. How many of you want to walk there now that you know that? Amen. And the devil used to do that. Exodus 19, 18, Mount Sinai was altogether a smoke because the Lord God descended on it in fire. So, <laughs> Exodus 19, 18, remember Moses said, God says, come up to the mountain. And uh, really, God's desire, according to Deuteronomy chapter 4 and 5, was that everybody go up the mountain. But then God said, wait a minute, these people, uh, they're not ready to come up. <laughs> they got sin. Keep them down there. They, they're going to get uh, roasted. Toasted! You just come up. So Moses is the only one that went up. But he said, oh, I wish they all had a heart that they could come up. Deuteronomy chapter 5 talks about that, right? So the devil was originally there. Our God is a consuming fire, consuming to sin. Uh... I worked next to a nuclear reactor uh, as an emergency room nurse, and I was on the burn squad. And we all trained for those that might get burned up at the nuclear reactor or somewhere else. (laughs) You know, you didn't think really too much was happening. One guy walked in. There were four people that walked in one day, And he had a a piece of metal that he hadn't detected in his clothes. An arc came off that. It killed him instantly. And the other three were completely burned. Or at least 80 to 90 percent. They came in. They could hardly breathe. I was doing those fasciitis. I told you this the other day. And as I did that with him, I realized the terrible damage of fire. You can't walk into that room next to that reactor without everything metal gone. You can't walk into God's presence without every sin gone. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> we're getting to that. So Satan was in the very presence of God. Sorry, I got to keep going because I got so much to say. And it's a little time to say it. Why could Satan do this? Ezekiel twenty-eight, twelve and fifteen. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created. All of these words are loaded with meaning. Satan was the seal of perfection. King James says, Thou sealest up the sum. What in the law has the seal? In other words, not only was he in the most holy place over the ark of God in charge of the ark, he was especially interested in taking care of what? The Sabbath day. This is why he has the mark of the beast now. He fights against that which he used to stand for. When it says that he was perfect in beauty, the word perfect is the same word used to describe a perfect sacrifice in the sanctuary. So in other words, he was like a living sanctuary. He was like, be there transformed. He was like, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves a living sacrifice. He was a living sacrifice. He was GYC's conference right there. He was what you want to be. So what happened? Isaiah 14, 13, and 14. You said in your heart, I'll ascend. I will exalt my throne against the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the further sides of the north. I will ascend among the heights of the clouds. I'll be like the Most High. He wanted to ascend. He wanted to exalt. He wanted to take over the place of the Most High. He wanted to be Michael, which means who is like God. He wanted to be like God. He wanted to be Jesus. He wanted to take Jesus' throne. He wanted to be the highest. What did he do to attempt having this happen? Ezekiel 28, verse 18. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence from within, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you out as a profane thing. That word profane is interesting. Pro means before. Fanu means the sanctuary. Profane literally means to put yourself in front of God's sanctuary. Profanity is taking God's name in vain. He was profane. So he started his abundance of trading. This was like trading secrets, trading gossip, trading this. Literally, it means peddling in the original language. This led to violence and sin. So what happened as a result to his influence? 2 Peter 2:4, Jude 6, Revelation 12, 7 through 9. Interesting text. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. The angels then sinned. He led them to sin. Jude 6. The angels did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode. So then, Revelation 12, 7, they were cast out of heaven. You see, there's this ellipsis of truth. Sometimes we say, oh, God cast them out. Yes, he did. He cast them out. That's one way to say it. But then it says, they left their proper estate. So this was their choice. This was God's action. And right there is the ellipsis of truth. Both of those statements are true. They were cast out, true. They left, true. You understand that? There's a lot of those things in the Bible like that. So, as a result of his influence, this sanctuary was defiled. Now, Job. Someone ask about Job. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before God. Satan was among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And Satan said, from going to and fro on the earth. See, the devil with all his defilement still had access to heaven, this text is teaching. Even though he was down, he's still going up there and visiting, you know? Stops in the drive-thru. <laughs> and he's still trying to get them to think the way he's thinking. <clears throat> in addition, Satan worked through the earthly powers to do what? Daniel 8, 9 through 11. And out of one of them came a little horn, and it grew to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the hosts, stars to the ground, stars, of course, Revelation chapter 12, are the saints, and trampled them. He even exalted himself as high as the prince of the hosts. Daniel chapter 8, verse 25, that's the prince of princes, that's Jesus. And by him the daily, that is the things that happened every day in the sanctuary, was taken away, and the place, literally, Macon is the word, the foundation, the stone was taken away and cast down he cast truth to the ground the papal system is built around a stone how many of you have ever been to st peter's basilica and how many of you have ever gone up there and you go and the whole cupolo and the altar by bernini is over what a stone supposedly where peter was buried And so they have this all over a stone, but it's a false stone. The place of his sanctuary was cast down. And they make their bread and butter by saying, we changed the law of God, not that we keep the law of God. So Satan, through the earthly powers and through the heavenly influence, had corrupted. Now, this is why we have to have the sanctuary of the historical new covenant. For those of you who just came in, I made a big difference between the experiential new covenant, which you can always have, and the historical new covenant which is when you move from the Old Testament to the New Testament in terms of covenants. Does the New Testament see this problem? Yes, Hebrews 9, 23 to 26. Almost all things by the law are purged with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of the things in the heavens should be purified. What? Heaven needs to be purified according to the New Testament and the Old Testament. And it has to be done by the shedding of blood. Now, notice it says, now almost all things, all things by the law are purged with blood. Uh, many times people read that text and they say, you have to have blood to purge everything. That's true. But there, the very poor people would come in and they could bring a grain offering. But there still was a blood sacrifice in the morning and in the evening that covered them. So they had to be purified, and ultimately what the book of Hebrews says, and the Hebrews is the book of the New Covenant, historically speaking, not experientially, because you could always have the New Covenant experience all the way back, verse 24, For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that he should offer himself often as a high priest, enters into the holy place year by year with the blood of others. For then must he have often suffered since the foundation of the Lord. But now once, at the end of the world, he hath appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. This, then, is what Jesus did. When he died, he lived that perfect life. He was able to open up the holies, both the holy place and the most holy place. This, then, is the opening of the historical new covenant era. So according to the author of Hebrews, who finally was placed in the position to do the necessary work in the heavenly sanctuary? Jesus. This is the main point. <laughs> Paul's made a lot of points. Uh, Peter said he writes a lot of things. hard to understand. But the main point of the things we're saying is we have a high priest who seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty's heavens, a minister of the sanctuary, and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected, and not man. Hallelujah. Why is Jesus uniquely qualified to deal with this sin issue? Let's look at several reasons. Number one, his identity. Let's look at that together. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 13 through 18. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 13 through 18. His identity. Uh, And again, I put my trust in him again. Here am I and the children whom the Lord God has given me, insomuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself also likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed he does not give aid to the angels, but he, just to angels, but he gives aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore in all things he had to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful, faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God. He makes propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he's able to aid those who are tempted. So, why is it that he's uniquely qualified to identify, uh, help us? Because he's totally identified with us. What's his track record? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. He was all points tempted, yet without what? Sin. Hebrews 7:22 through 29. His availability. Remember the priest all died. We started out by going through the list of all the people why it wasn't sufficient. But what does it say? Hebrews chapter 7 verse 20 through uh, 22 through 24. What's it say? 22 through 24. By so much more Jesus has become surety of a better covenant. And there, as there were many, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. I'm going to say amen to that. So he's completely available. He identifies. His track record is impeccable. His availability is infinite. What about his efficiency? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 and 12. It's going to tell us that he had a once for all Sacrifice 11 and 12. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. Remember, we saw that as one of the problems. Verse 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. So that's his efficiency. Hebrews 8, 1 to 4. His location. We already said that. This is the main point of the things we're saying. We have a, a, a temple in the true sanctuary that God pitched, and not man. And also his plan, which is what I wanted to really get to today. <laughs> he has a plan. Okay, how many of you are with me? This is now the sanctuary of the historical New Covenant. And this is something that we have to proclaim. Now, there's a lot of people in the Adventist church today that are claiming, we're talking about the New Covenant, and we know all about it, and you you guys are legalists. That's because they don't understand the difference between historical New Covenant and experiential that I talked to you about. Wish I could go through a class on the covenants with you. I do that at AFCO, and I also do many more classes on sanctuary, but uh, only if you come there will you get to... Have those glasses? <laughs> you can just read your Bible yourself, though. It might be better. So Jesus had a plan. Let's look at the plan. Uh, let's hopefully we'll look at the plan. He has a plan. This is the final reason here. In fact, his whole plan is summarized in one chapter. If you only had one chapter from the Bible to summarize the entire plan... That then took you from the historical Old Covenant, the historical New Covenant, it would be Leviticus chapter 23. And I encourage you to study it on your own, but it has all of the feasts of the Lord. You had, what did you have first? Passover. Then you had unleavened bread. Then you had the wave sheaf. And then those feasts, by the way, were all fulfilled by Christ during his earthly ministry. He was the lamb, he was the bread. He went and waved himself before the father. Remember when he, he died and he rose again and, and, and Mary was there and wanted to touch him. He said, don't touch me yet. I have not yet ascended my father. <laughs> and so he ascended the father. Then he came back down, Acts chapter 1, for 40 days. And then 10 days after that, uh, 10 days after that, the, there were 10 days they were praying. Remember? 10 days after he ascended, then Acts chapter 2 comes and what happens? The Holy Spirit falls. And so what you have then is Pentecost. That's what that's called. Pente is 50 Pentecost. And then next came the trumpets. The trumpets were always a signal and sign of what Jesus was about to do. The trumpets would blow in the morning. They would blow in the evening. There were all kinds of trumpets that told you what to do. And the trumpet had to have a certain sound in the morning, in the evening, whether or not you retreat, whether or not you go forward, whether you do this or that. And you had to be an expert on the trumpet. If you messed up the trumpet, people would get in trouble. My wife once had a car when we were, this is before she married me. I would never let my wife drive something like this, but her father did. But anyway, he won't listen to this tape. So, and this car was a Vista Cruiser. How many of you remember a Vista Cruiser? It's sort of like an Abrams tank. It was a huge Osmobile. And the day before we got married, this this particular uh, car had a horn, and the horn sometimes stuck when you turned left. (laughs) My wife would always look at the maps. They didn't have Google Maps back then or anything. And she would say, how do I get there by turning right? She would go miles out of her way to go places so she didn't have to turn left because she was embarrassed. But the day before our wedding, she went to get her nails done. Someone gave her a certificate for that. I was so thankful she got the nails done. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, I I wouldn't even have noticed. But she went to get this because she wanted to be nice to the friend. So she goes to drive there, and she's, she's late because she has to get back for some kind of a, of a party. That You know, when you get married, you have all kinds of parties. Then you get married, then you have all kinds of parties, and then reality hits. So she was driving to get back, and she, she's driving to get back, and she turns left, and her horn goes, because she has to get back. Ah, 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 and, she, and then she's to the next corner because she, she, she didn't have time to plan out. Ah, 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 ah then she came to this intersection and this old lady freaked out boom, slammed into her she cut herself right here I said to her honey if the trumpet does not have a certain sound people get confused so back then they had to have these trumpets they had to have a certain sound right had to have a certain sound you see at AFKIL, when I see people going to sleep I tell a story to wake them up <laughs> Then I put them back to sleep. Then I wake them up. I'm better than an anesthesiologist. I told an anesthesiologist in my church once I said, you put just one person to sleep at a time? Let me understand this. I can put 500 people to sleep at the same time. (laughs) I bill them. I call it the offering. No, I don't. (laughs) So, Pentecost, trumpets. The, The trumpets got people ready for the Day of Atonement. And then the Feast of Booths came next, the Festival of Booths. Now, let's look at this a little more closely. What time is it so I can know... How much time I have to do this? Oh, good. i got plenty of time. I can slow down a little bit. <clears throat> Repent and return to the seminar. Okay, they're leaving. So, the, the first section was what Christ did on earth, the earthly ministry. Then you move to the heavenly sanctuary. Let's go through this quickly. You see, someone asked me yesterday, and I believe it was you in the plaid dress. You said, well, my friend is asking me about the feast. Was that you? You asked me that. You did. You forgot. You're in a senior moment. Uh, That gives me hope that someone that young would have that happen to them. So the lamb, (laughs) the lamb, how do we, how do we celebrate the Passover today? First Corinthians tells us chapter five, verse seven, five, eight, and 1520. Christ, our lamb was sacrificed for us. We celebrate that by communion, don't we? We celebrate that by communion. What about the bread? They left Egypt with unleavened bread. No leaven. Look, we don't want to have in our experience any leavening process. Yes or no? no. Yes, I know the nuance, my brother. There's a heavenly leaven, he's telling me. 7 <laughs> 11. That's the good one, right? <laughs> so, right. So the second thing is the communion bread. We celebrate that by having the communion bread. We don't want to have the sinful leaven in our lives. Then the wave sheaf. What's wave sheaf? When the priest, each year, when the first fruits would come up, when that very first fruits would come up, the green uh, corn, they would wave the first fruits before everybody say, this is the first fruits of the year. And then finally, at the latter rain, the harvest would come. But there was the hope of the harvest, the first fruits. Jesus was the first fruits. When he died, he then ascended, waved himself before the Father, and came back down. And the way we celebrate that now is through what? Baptism. We go down, and then we're resurrected to newness of life. And we go, whoa! And it's the, that doesn't mean we're done, but that's the beginning of the Christian walk where we say, Look, he has signs of life. <sighs> but we don't believe one saved all he saved. Better keep having signs of life. <laughs> Have fruits of repentance. Then Jesus ascended. What did he do when he ascended? Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, there was a mighty rushing wind. And then the Holy Spirit fell. Now, this is a very important thing, because in Revelation 4 and 5, this was typified. Jesus went to heaven, and you see him there, and they're all singing. Four people singing first, 12 people singing first, 24 people singing, and it's just bigger and bigger and better, like the most exquisite choral group. Well, what happened there? There was the inauguration of the heavenly sanctuary. Numbers chapter 7, verse 1 says that every time they would move that sanctuary, they would have to go in, clean it all up, and then put a little oil on top of it to inaugurate it. And that's what Jesus did. In fact, he was so filled with the oil of the Spirit, it says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, he's anointed with the oil of gladness more than all of his brethren, because he hated lawlessness and he loved righteousness, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. So he had so much Holy Spirit that it went down, Psalm 133, from his head to his beard to his garments to the very... Him of his garments, and then comes down to the ionosphere, and the stratosphere, and the atmosphere, and everything else that has a sphere associated to it, and comes down on the top of the receptive disciples as tongues of fire. That's the inauguration of the sanctuary. That was when the new covenant sanctuary, historically speaking, was opened up. It was like, whoa, big light show. When did that happen? 31 A.D. And then we see him next. Revelation 1 verse 12. He still has so much oil left over. He's among the lampstands just filling him up. John saw that in 90 A.D so the Holy Spirit came and the way we celebrate that today some people say do you guys understand the feast yes we do we celebrate the feast by having communion having communion bread having baptism and we identify what our spiritual gifts are and use those well, let me tell you oh you guys don't celebrate the feast you do but you do it the way the New Testament says to do it Matthew chapter twenty-four, thirty-one. the trumpets what's it say Twenty-four, thirty-one. Matthew chapter 24, 31. <clears throat> that day the trumpet will sound, and then what will happen? Let's go look and see it. Matthew chapter 24, verse 31. <clears throat> you know, I'm getting so excited about the next hour's lecture that I'm having a hard time finishing this one. But, <clears throat> Matthew chapter 24, verse 31. <laughs> and he will send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet. Ooh! man how do you like that Amen. see in the book of revelation there's seven trumpets and the first six are just like dee, 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 dee. and then the seventh trumpet is, whoa we're living in the sound of the second trumpet seventh trumpet right yeah. Amen. but look what it says here he'll send the angel with the sound of a trumpet And what happens? And they, that is the angels, will gather together the elect from the four corners or the four winds of heaven. You see, the angels are so convinced that the people at the end of time are ready that they go pick him up. The angels wouldn't just pick anybody up. They kicked the devil out. And while they want to replace him with other people, we'll make sure they're okay. (laughs) Yes or no? But at this particular point, they're going to pick everybody up. And you see, the angels were associated then with the second coming. Revelation chapter 14, verse 6, And I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to them that dwell on the earth. And William Miller took that message seriously. He began to preach in 1833. And how many days did the Feast of Trumpets last? Ten days. So, if a day equals a year, what happened next? Ten days later would be the day of atonement. And what happened in 1843, 1844? There was the beginning of the preaching that Jesus would come in those years and cleanse the earth by fire. Because they said the sanctuary needed to be cleansed and the earth was the sanctuary. Of course, they were wrong about that. But what happened? They then discovered out of the disappointment that it was really an appointment. He has appointed a day, Acts 17, 31, where he will judge the world in righteousness by the man which he ordained. So there was a day that he would judge the world. When was Acts written? Was it written before or after Jesus was on earth? And was it before or after the book of Revelation? So after Jesus left and before Revelation says, He that is filthy, let him be filthy still. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. Right between those, there's a day that's fixed for judgment. What is that day? Daniel eight fourteen. The reason for the Adventist church suggests that unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. And when did that fall? October 22, 1844. Right on time. Woo! How many of you like Leviticus chapter 23? Got the whole meal deal right there. The whole thing. Everlasting gospel to preach to them that dwell on the earth, to every nation, kindred, tribe, dumb, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory for the hour of His judgment. Not will come, you know, is come. Look, Revelation chapter. 6, verse 9 and 10. How long, O Lord, until you judge us? Revelation chapter 11, verse 18. The time has come for you to judge the dead. Revelation chapter 14, verse 7. The hour of his judgment is come. You see the progression. This is the historical old covenant time, if you will. This is the historical new covenant. In the book of Revelation, when you get to chapter 11, it says, Leave out the court. Because it was already taken care of. Jesus successfully was the lamb in the court. He successfully was the bread and the wave sheath. The bread, the meal offerings. But he then had to move to the heavenly sanctuary and continue his ministry on behalf of us. The hour of his judgment has come. Then we noticed yesterday as we closed up that the last uh, feast would come. What's the last feast? John chapter 14 verse 1 to 3. What's it say? Mm. <laughs> right. Amen. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go, I will come again and receive it unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. So he says, Look, I'm going up to the prepared place. That's a booth, <laughs> the festival booth. You know, I'm satisfied with just a cottage below. We sing that song, a little silver. But there in the mansions, I'm going to have that. Well, it's only a booth. You just have to live there a thousand years. Then you're coming back down. Don't get used to it up there, you know. I was kind of getting used to the Hyatt. The other day. They go, this is pretty nice. But I've got to come down from the Hyatt. <laughs> Don't get used to up there in heaven for a thousand. You're only going to be there a thousand years. And that's nothing. Because... Notice when he comes to pick us up, the angel of the Lord will descend with a shout with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And then we're there for how long? thousand years, reigning and judging with him. In other words, all our questions are answered. I got a nice sermon that I and a class that I teach called You Got Questions? God's got answers. You thought it was Radio Shack, didn't you? No, no, it's God. He answers all the questions. And that lasts for how long? Revelation 20, verse 4. A thousand years. And when the the, the thousand years are at the end, the millennium's end, then what happens? The Lord himself will descend with heaven. You know, I saw new heavens and a new earth. For the first heavens and the first earth were passed away. And there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city coming down from God out of heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. So what happens is we go up, but then we come down. But who comes down with us? Jesus comes down with us. And God and man are united for eternity. That is the message of the historical new covenant. On the sanctuary in heaven. Now, where do we live on this picture? Right here. And you're not going to get here unless we're cleansed. And in my next hour, I'm going to talk about the four apocalyptic horsemen of Adventism as it relates to the sanctuary. I'm going to talk about practically applying the sanctuary to our lives. I'm going to talk about the sanctuary and diet, the sanctuary and dress, the sanctuary and drums, and the sanctuary and dating. Woo, I'm nervous about it. (laughs) But I have to cover it, because if you don't understand the message of the three, and the three angels message and you're not ready you're not going to go up there contrary to popular belief you see Jesus had a prayer that he prayed and he meant that prayer also as a prophecy thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is an encapsulation of the application of the sanctuary message. On earth as it is in heaven. W D for Z, I love listening to his tapes. He has this whole tape on marriage, and he says, Look, your marriage needs to be doing God's will on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah. My wife can always tell when I've listened to that series. <laughs> She told me the other day, "You need to listen to a little frizzi." Uh, she gave me a the freeze, the sanctuary of the new covenant. You see, the book of Revelation is now, as we close. What time is it? What time is it here? Okay, I got just a couple minutes. The book, the the the. the, the uh, the book of Revelation is built out over that series that I just showed you. See all those feasts, Passover, Wave Sheaf, uh, uh, Unlovened Bread should be on, I just didn't put it in, but it is a part and parcel of this. All these things are what the book of Revelation is I, uh, arranged around. Passover, He's the Lamb and He's in the church, Revelation 1 to 3. Wave Sheaf, He went and showed Himself before the Father, saying, I am the first fruits, I'm inaugurating the heavenly sanctuary, right? Then He shows back up, going among the lampstands. Pentecost, uh, you see that the seals and the sealing, Revelation chapter six and seven, the seals and the sealing, sealed with the spirit. It talks about the spirit being uh, we, or sealed with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians tells us. The trumpets, they come here in eight through eleven, and the first six, of course, then had the ellipses of verse, chapter chapter uh, nine and ten there, and uh, chapter ten rather and eleven, and then you finally have the seventh trumpet in eleven chapter. Chapter eleven, verse fifteen through nineteen. Then the Day of Atonement comes next, and that Day of Atonement, our Revelation ten, the remnant is identified. Revelation eleven, the legal case for uh, against the enemy, Satan's. Then attacks come in Revelation twelve against the remnant throughout time. Satan's empire is displayed there. You know, in Revelation chapter thirteen is interesting. In Revelation chapter thirteen, you have a power that says you should worship. The beast, that's breaking the first commandment. A power that says you should make an image to the beast, that's breaking the second commandment. A power that says you should have my name and the number of my name, 666, that's taking God's name in vain. That's the third commandment. And then, what do you suppose the next thing is? It's the mark of the beast. What do you suppose the mark of the beast would be if he's breaking the first three? Right, Sabbath. So you have Satan's empire, chapter 13. And then you have the warning Revelation chapter 14, three angels' messages. That's what we've been raised up to do. Messages of warning from the sanctuary. And then Revelation chapter 15, there's the picture of the victorious saints who are standing on the sea of glass, singing the song of Moses and of the Lamb. And three times in that chapter, the reason they have victory is alluded to. It's because they keep the Sabbath. Three times in that chapter. And then sanctuary is closed up. And in chapter 16, the legal basis for the shutting of the heavenly sanctuary to the wicked is given. The legal basis for the shutting of the heavenly sanctuary is given. Those plagues are totally tied with every aspect of the sanctuary. The first plague says they get sores. No one with sores could minister in the heavenly sanctuary or in the sanctuary on earth. And you go right down the line. Finally, it ends up with the Euphrates drying up, the river drying up that came from the throne room of the beast. And so the legal basis is given there. By the way, it's interesting. At the end, look at this, Revelation chapter 16. I'll put on the website of studying Revelation 16 because you need to study that. In Revelation chapter 16, as you go through all of the plagues, all of them were the legal basis for that new covenant sanctuary being closed to the wicked. And then notice what happens at the end of them. Right during the end of the sixth bowl, verse 12. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Chapter 16, verse 15. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and see his same. What's that mean? The righteous live through those plagues, but they keep their garments, they're clean, they're clothed, they're in their right mind. And it's then that what can Jesus say next? Verse 17. Then the seventh angel poured out his bull on earth, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven and from the throne, saying, It is done. When did Jesus say, It is done before? On the cross. But he says, It is done when his people are done at the end of time. Did you see that? His people are done. They're keeping their robes and their garments. And then he's able to say, it's done. Isn't that interesting? And then the hail comes down and decimates everything. In the sanctuary, what happened? They were covered with fire by, day, fire by night and cloud by day. But the covering from above and the covering beneath is taken away. And the wicked are destroyed. Because they have been rejected. They rejected the sanctuary's message and so the sanctuary is closed to them. But you know there's good news at the end here. Every single one of the things, every single one of the plagues in Revelation 16, Jesus already took on himself. He was bruised and beaten for us. He was filled with scars, sores for you and me. Right? That's plague number one. Plague number two. The false labor system, he was covered in his own blood, his own fluids, and he was spat upon. Heaven was closed. All of the plagues, he fulfills all the plagues on the cross. Just like there was darkness over Egypt, there was darkness over him. Just like there was an earthquake, there was an earthquake when he died. All of those different things are fulfilled In other words, the message of Revelation 16 is one of hope and help. Jesus is saying, I've done everything so you can have the heavenly sanctuary. I fulfilled it all for you. All I want you to do is respond in love. Keep your garments. Watch me. Watch the Lamb. And that's going to be the message of the sanctuary for the final generation when we come back. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we're thankful that we could study the sanctuary of the historical New Covenant. And we know that the experience of the New Covenant could be had all through history, but in a very special way, when you came and lived and died and rose again, you inaugurated and opened up the Heavenly Sanctuary for ministry, and you've moved through all of the different aspects you're living right now. We're living in the Day of Atonement. We're excited the next thing is the Feast of Tabernacles. We want to be willing and ready when you come. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse and Hope Media Ministry for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to listen to more great media like this presentation, or if you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. You can also find great witnessing media at audioverse.org and at hopevideo.com.